OSL is the leading distributor of radiotherapy patient positioning equipment and physics QA products for the UK and Ireland, supplying both the NHS and private sectors. We are currently running winter lunchtime on-site sessions discussing the superficial and ortho-voltage treatment portfolio that we distribute for WOMED, owned by Baybig. This comprehensive KV unit portfolio ranges from energies of 50 to 300 KV with excellent patient and staff safety features and we offer an incredible service and support package for your engineering team to ensure a smooth and efficient service for your patients. Please do get in touch if you require further information. And finally, as always, do not hesitate to discuss your product and service requirements with our friendly and knowledgeable account specialists as and when required. We are all from a radiotherapy background and we are more than happy to chat about the clinical benefits and the workflow of all of our products. Please go to our website at www.osl.uk.com or if you would like to speak to us, please call 01743 462 694. Hi, my name is Laura and I work at Convensys as a partnerships manager. Join us at the NHS Oncology Conference on the 6th of June 2023 in Manchester. We will open the debate on how the NHS is planning to lean on new models of delivery and innovation to help manage the current treatment backlogs and improve outcomes on a national scale. All tickets are free for the NHS to attend. To register for your free ticket, visit convensis.co.uk. and welcome to Rad Chat, the multi-award winning first therapeutic radiographer-led oncology podcast. Welcome to podcast number 77. My name's Jay McNamara and I'm joined by fellow host Namanjelka Anderson. Hi everyone. So a big thank you to our last guest, Jane Hall, who talked about setting up a late effects service and late effects patients um, that she gets to see within her role. If you haven't had a chance yet, please do go and take a listen. So we're really pleased to introduce our guest for this evening, Joss Harding. He'll be discussing her role as a dental hygienist and the importance of mouth care for people living with and beyond cancer. So welcome, Joss. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Thank you very, very much for inviting me. I'm really, I'm, I can't wait to talk tea. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's not um, something I would necessarily think of to have a conversation about. So it's brilliant to have someone who's so passionate and knowledgeable about teeth. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about your role and how you got into teeth? Uh, yes. Yeah, so um, I actually, when I was 15, I did work experience at the dental practice opposite my school. And off I bimbled, not thinking, you know, really, was that going to be the career for me? But actually, it absolutely got me. The hygienist I sat with was just um, had just left the Navy. So then I thought about being a hygienist in the Navy, which eventually I did go on to do. So I had a few jobs before then. So I joined up at 19. So that was my start of my journey with teeth. So, yes, I was one of those strange people at 15 that did know what they wanted to do as they were going to get older. So um, it's taken me on such a journey, nowhere near what I thought I'd be doing at this time of my career. I thought the latter end of my career, um, I thought I'd be sort of, you know, moseying down to two or three days a week and that would be it, you know. But actually it all kind of exploded sort of back in 2016. I was noticing, so I did nine years in the Navy. I loved my career. I went all over the world. I was very lucky to be posted in Hawaii, Gibraltar, got winched up helicopters. I did all sorts of mad stuff that you just go, yeah, I'll have a go at that. Because why would not, why would you not? You know, the opportunity's there. So that was great, I loved it. And I had all the best jobs that I could possibly get. The only other two jobs I didn't get was working down in Plymouth, because people get very, very close about their Plymouth postings and the other one was working with the Royal Marines. So other than that, I had an absolutely great, crazy career. I had some great people to work with who really pushed me and supported me with everything I wanted to do. So then I left, I then went to work in the NHS and I worked at a dental practice in Devizes and I worked there for nearly two years. Then I moved up to Gloucestershire and this is where I've been since 1999. So I've had my children here, I've had a few jobs in the area and more recently I worked for two and a half years in MaxFax, so I worked with head and neck cancer patients there and that's where I got to know more of the hospital team and the people that are involved with those journeys. So I work in private practice as well, I work three days a week, um, I work in Stroud in Gloucestershire and I've been there for a long time, over 16 years and I love it, I just love it. But what I noticed in 2016 was more and more patients were coming through that I knew 
who'd been diagnosed or were, had a diagnosis and they're about to start their journey. Now, those that had been diagnosed, they came in saying how awful their mouth was during their journey. And I was like, well, why can't I help them? What could I do to help them? And then when I was hearing about them eating and drinking what they were, I was like, oh no, this is crazy. This is gonna hurt their teeth for long term because people come out of treatment, they finish treatment, they survive many years. So that took me on a really good journey of learning. So uh, 2018, I was awarded a national award for Dental Hygienist of the Year. I do, did a lot of work with Macmillan and I created some leaflets. So the leaflets, it's quite interesting because I'd been to a lecture with a restorative specialist and she talked about her head and neck cancer patients and how she'd looked after them. And I said, that's lovely. You know, one of those people at the end of a lecture, any questions to ask, that was me, hand up. How do I look after these patients when they come back to me in practice, please? And she's like, it's, it's all out there. The information's all out there. And I was going, well, it might be, but I can't get my hands on it. I need some help here because I had three head and neck cancer patients in my surgery. And obviously working in the Navy, I was working with quite a young cohort. Averagely, they were 40 years and under then. They were fit, you know. So I didn't kind of meet these kind of people. So I then was driving home with my friend from this lecture. And I was going, I've got an idea. And she's like, oh no, here she goes. I've got an idea, I've got an idea. She's got an idea, this is gonna be a nightmare. <laughs> and it all comes about because I had a lovely mentor called Eva Rosvodosko and she was my boss at the time. So I wrote to this restorative specialist and I said, look, I've got an idea for a leaflet. I know a lot about products. I know a lot about the, what can help my patients. Can I write something in a leaflet? And she went, no, you can't do that because you need everything to be evidence-based. And I was like, okay, which at that time I didn't understand, I have to say. So I was like, okay, but she said, well, I'm not gonna piddle on your bonfire. She said, what I need you to do is write an article. Now this is a girl, it took me three goes to get my English O-level. So it was a struggle for me. So I went back to my boss, Ross Vodoska, and I said to her, I've been told to do this. And she went, well, get on with it then and I'll help you. Now, if at that time she'd put up a barrier or if at that time she'd gone, oh, this is gonna be a struggle, that would have been it, but she wasn't. She was absolutely, she said, just do it, I'll help you. So my first article was printed in a, a very big dental publication called The Probe, and it, there was so much information in there, it went over two publications. So it was June and July of 2016. I then had um, the leaflet I put together, which is great, it's a free download. It was with a lovely charity called Brush Up UK. And again, it was like snippets of particular, because you know, patients go on a cancer journey they will try anything and everything if their best friend says it works they don't care if it's evidence-based they'll buy it from the other side of the world they don't care if it works it works for them and they will try it and we have to be careful with that because if they believe in it and it's going to work then why why would you not do it so I knew a lot about products that had a lot of evidence base behind it and I wanted to put it all in this leaflet so Brush Up UK very kindly created this free download and it's been pub it's been downloaded all over the world. It's a lovely, easy to read little piece. So my friends, I've got friends, they say, uh, okay, so you've got this leaflet, people are going to want to know about you, so you're gonna to have to build a website. And I was like, oh, I'm not building a website. So that was a journey for one summer. So I built a website and on there is the download and lots of other resources. And there's a bit about me, there's you know a blog, there's little bits and pieces just just snippets to help people. And then my friend said, well, you know, people are gonna to want to hear you. And I was like, there's no way I'm getting on stage. I'm not gonna be speaking to people. And lo and behold, that was me in Manchester in um, 2018, I think it was a big year, 2018, 2019. So there I was on stage, nobody left. Everybody's asking good questions and it was great. And the thing I could see in the corner of this um, area was the clock. So I kept on time too, which is always good. Um, but really good questions because everybody's wondering about the same thing, you know. So then my journey kind of continued and I met up with a lovely chap called Chris Curtis who's a head and neck cancer survivor who has a charity called The Swallows. And I was invited to speak to his conference and that was brilliant because I met lots of other healthcare professionals. And everybody wants to know about the teeth and mouth so I could talk about teeth and mouth quite happily. But it was great to see all these other people doing some really innovative things, you know, different pillows for their head, for radiotherapy, and all sorts of things. And it was lovely. But I, I like the idea of all these different chapters that were put together. 
So I thought I'd like to do something myself. So I put together my conference. So I have always have a patient that speaks because a patient is extremely powerful and you have to listen to a patient. And I have a lovely colleague called Roy Anthony. He's a dental hygienist who's had head and neck cancer himself. So he was both sides of the fence and he's spoken and collaborated on loads of stuff with me. So he was able to give me a really good insight into mouth problems with patients. And it's kind of grown from there. So the conference is great. There's like six people that speak different areas. So I want medical professionals to speak as well as dental. And the audience always go away going, wow, wow. And it's charity fundraising so that I don't make any money. You know, it's not about that. It's about encouraging people with good CPT, talking about mouth care, but what else is in that journey? So then this kind of led to the book. <laughs> during lockdown so I previously am I going on too much is this okay is this interesting this is amazing <laughs> amazing I mean most people just learn how to either run a 5k quickly or do banana bread <laughs> in lockdown but you wrote a book <laughs> oh bless you well so I started at Max Facts. now I did I well before that I set up a Facebook page I set up a support Facebook page for hygienists and therapists working in Max because generally you either work part-time full-time but you generally work on your own there is no learning. You learn with that first patient in the chair. And I personally think that's unfair on the patient and I think that's really unfair on the clinician. So I set up this Facebook page, um, really lovely people all over the country just chatting to each other, good days, bad days, they were there to support each other. So I then went for the position at Gloucestershire Royal Hospital and I got it, which was lovely. And I was like, okay, help me with this any top tips they're like Josh you'll be amazing you'll be amazing I was like it was very kind of you but I need some top tips the best top tip that somebody gave to me was to listen some days you never pick up a scaler a cleaning polishing aid whatever you listen and that was the best top tip that I had and then a few weeks into the job obviously because I had no nowhere to go for information uh, I, I said to the people in the Facebook group Right, how about if we do a leaflet? We do a leaflet, pamphlet, 15 topics, everybody picks a topic, try and write it as best you can to support each other, anybody new coming into this career, um, you know, would that be okay? So everybody's, yep, 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 lovely, lovely. So we picked 15 topics and off we went. And then Everos Vodoska, I spoke to her about this and she went, this is a really good idea, Joss. I'm gonna get you to speak to another lady who's connected with Wiley. So I was like, oh, okay. So then Wiley um, get in touch and they say, you have to fill out this form to see if this is a project that could become a book and to see what's out there already. And they normally give you six to eight weeks turnaround. Well, it came back pretty quick, this form, because there wasn't anything like this. So the topics kind of um, expanded from 15 to 49, because then people were, <clears throat> beg your pardon, they were collaborating with other people in the medical field and I would say to them, right, <clears throat> beg your pardon, who else do you think should be in this book? Because it wasn't a book, it wasn't a pamphlet anymore, this is a book. And um, so they would suggest another topic and suggest that it snowballed. And it's great, isn't that great? Because I don't know who all these people are in this journey. I only knew about one bit and that's about math care. And I was doing my best with that. Um, so yeah, it kind of went from to 49 topics. And the book, I'm absolutely, I've, every chapter that came in, I was just flabbergasted with it because it's so interesting. I said, I just want easy to read chapter. I don't want anything majorly academic. I want people to be able to pick up that book from any of these areas of the profession and to be able to read it and go, oh, that's really interesting. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, look at that picture. I mean, some of them, you don't want to look at them over your breakfast, but you know, it's a really good book and everybody that's picked it up has gone, wow, wow. So at the end of the book, there's 170 images in it. So I love visuals, everybody loves visuals. Um, there's lots of images there. Um, there's four patients' journeys because the patient's journey is really powerful. So it's really good to read those different people, different types of head and neck cancer. But I have to say the book is appropriate for anybody and everybody to read in the profession. It gives you a lot of insight into different areas and it's it's just really interesting. I can't say it enough. It's just really interesting, but it could be for any kind of cancer care, you know, not just for head and neck. There's a lot of crossovers with other areas. So who knows? But first edition, I know it's just, um, the cover's purple, and 
just everybody said yes everybody said yes and this was this is the thing this was in lockdown this was in covid times this is when people were really stressed and being really pushed and there's little old me going do you mind write me a chapter please and they said yes i mean these people deserve a medal um really don't ever pick up an email from me or anything because generally i'm asking something you know but you know i'm just very lucky very lucky amazing so yeah went on sale today it sounds an amazing amazing career and amazing journey to get to where you've got to for anyone who's listening what is a hygienist what's the difference between a hygienist a dentist and matt you you mentioned maxofacial what are the difference between these professionals? So as a dentist, they have uh, A-levels, they go to university and they do five years. There's a degree course. Uh, hygienist, a dental hygienist and dental therapist are both um, degree courses. They weren't when I did it <clears throat> a few years ago. So I qualified 30 years ago. It was 50 weeks when we did it. And um, two weeks break in the middle, that was it. Off you go. And giving local anaesthetics had just been passed by law. So we were whacking them into everybody because we had to practice before we left. But, and I've done lots of ad quals since, but the courses now are two to three years. They're um, degree courses. Um, as a hygienist, I'm a prevention side of things. So when the patients come to me, I glean lots of information from them. I want to know about their diet. I need to know about their eating and drinking habits. I want to know what kind of job they've got, whether they work long hours, whether they travel a lot, whether they're at home a lot, whether they're mothers, grandparents, carers, all sorts of things like that. Gently, you ask carefully how you glean this information out of them. You go, okay, so right, what's your routine now at the moment? Okay, so you're brushing once a week? No. If you're brushing once a day or twice a day, what are you using? How are you using it? Let me show you. Is there any way I can help you? Are you getting any problems anywhere? It's it's a lovely, lovely job. I love it. I've loved teeth from the moment I started, but it's the people that come in with the teeth or the mouths. You know, it's just, it's a lovely position to be in. It's very personal. When people lose lie supine, they become very exposed and that's when they really open up and sometimes they tell you stuff that you may or may not want to hear I don't know but they tell you lots of emotional stuff um personal stuff um and it's we're very lucky but you have to be very careful with how you look after your patients you know be professional it's it's a lovely position to be in but yes it's all about prevention big about prevention so this is what I learned from my first conference so the first conference I invited a dietitian to come and speak and there's me rabbiting on as a hygienist. Oh my goodness, people are eating and drinking all the way through their therapies. They're, they're going to damage their teeth. I had to shut my mouth really because these patients need to eat and drink anything they possibly can because they need to get through this treatment. They need to keep their fat on them. They need to keep their BMI up, you know? And isn't that great? I learned that every day's a school day. So I remembered that when I was working in my position and when we were going through lockdown and COVID and these people couldn't come into MaxFax to see me, I was speaking to them on speakerphone on the phone. Bear in mind, these are people that have had surgery. They were often there with their partners having to speak with them because they couldn't necessarily be understood. I had to be careful questioning them, but not too much. Um, and they were, I was like, well, you're about to start surgery. So what are you eating and drinking? They were a bit sheepish telling a hygienist what they were eating and drinking. I was like, no, no, please be honest. Tell me what you're eating and drinking. Well, I'm eating this and eating that. And I was like, if you're eating sticky buns, morning, noon and night, I need you to do that. I need you to keep your weight on. I need your mask to still be fitting you through treatment. I need you to eat and drink everything. You enjoy it, you love it. I'm gonna prescribe a toothpaste. I'm gonna prescribe a mouthwash. I'm gonna help you with your toothbrushing. All sorts of things like that to help them because they need to get through treatment. When you come back to me, I am going to nag you a little bit <clears throat> because that's what we do. Professional nagging, but it's in a lovely way. Joss, I know you're kind of alluding to it already, but why is mouth care so important? So mouth care is really important from year dot, from zero. So there's a big drive for children underneath under one to be seen at the practice to get them into a good routine because it's about prevention. Dentistry is not cheap and we know that now more than ever. So if you can do what you can do day to day at home, that really makes the difference. So tooth decay and gum disease, the two major diseases of the mouth, the biggest diseases in the whole wide world, which are preventable. So decay, 
you have different kinds of bacteria in the mouth. Ones that cause tooth decay, holes in your teeth, and ones that cause gum disease. The ones that cause gum disease, you control by good brushing, good cleaning, between the teeth, doing something routine every day. There's no getting around it, it's about elbow grease, okay? And what you use, it can be floss, it can be brushes, whatever the gaps between your teeth need, that's what they need. You'll never ever feel like you need to do it. When you start doing it, your gums may bleed. Now, this is the thing that I found with working with cancer specialists and things. And I say, well, why do you recommend patients not to be brushing or using electric toothbrush or flossing between the teeth um, during treatment? <clears throat> and they'll say, it's because their gums bleed. And I said, 99% of the population's gums bleed, but that's because they're not brushing effectively. They need to be brushing well. And if they get bleeding, any other part of the body, you'd be told to leave it alone. When you've got bleeding gums, it means you've got gum disease. And that's not good, because that can be an overall indicator of your overall health, and that's not good. If you're not brushing between your teeth or cleaning between your teeth, you're missing up to 40% of the tooth surface. The bacteria that gets sticky, it gets stuck. You'll never feel like you need to remove it, but it, you need to remove it. Go with the bleeding, start off with, trust me, I'm a hygienist. Try and use something routinely, either every day or every other day, and gradually the bleeding will start to stop, and your mouth will be so much healthier. The smell that you get from between your teeth is not great sniff those little brushes sniff the flossy but i need to do that every day it's not pleasant it's not good and that's not good halitosis especially for cancer patients halitosis is one of the big things they worry about and that could be because they're dehydrated but generally it's because their oral care is not great but you just have to go with it sometimes sometimes there's no choice sometimes their mouth is so sore you can't do anything about it so there's different things for that so you've got tooth uh, gum disease so tooth decay tooth decay that's controlled by frequency of sugars. So the Stefan's curve goes back to the 1940s. It's nothing new. So what you'll see when you Google Stefan's curve is you'll see when you wake up in the morning, your pH of your mouth is roughly about seven. So if you go back to your pH from school days, acid and alkaline, pH seven is about neutral. So the bacteria takes in the sugar and converts it to acid, so it drops. When it drops below 5.5, that's when the pH of the mouth the, mouth, the pH of your mouth below 5.5, that's when the enamel is softened. The saliva in your mouth, providing you've got it, providing you've got good saliva, has got calcium phosphate ions and many other things in them in it to then reharden the teeth. So it does this throughout the day. So it bounces up and down. So ideally, Stefan's curve, you should only have, say, three dips a day. So you'd have your breakfast, your lunch, and your evening meal. Now, if you're a nurse that's working a 12-hour shift, how bad is your Stefan's curve? It's bad. You're going to be having your squash. You're going to be having your mints. You're going to be grabbing a sandwich. You're going to be doing this, going to be doing that. Yes. So with my nursing patients that come in, I help you with that. So I'll help you with different kinds of toothpaste, different kinds of mints, different kinds of options just to reduce that risk. Because why wait until you get a hole to do something about it? The damage is done. The enamel is the hardest substance in the body. It takes a dentist, a diamond drill to get into it. So it's just the frequency of sugars. Now, what is our life like at the moment? Everything's sort of sugar in. Anything processed has sugar in. You'll like something more of this variety than that variety, but you'd be at bottom dollars because it's got sugar in. So have sugars, don't not have sugars. So I never say to my patients, especially my teenagers that come, I never say they can't have things. They've never listened to me ever again. What I do is I say, have things at a certain time if you can. Let your teeth have a bit of a breather if you can. So for our cancer patients and the squash because they've got a metallic taste or they've, they've got halitosis or whatever, you know, it goes out the window. The Stefan's curve is mad. So there's different strengths of fluorides that we can um, prescribe. So a regular toothpaste out there on the market's got about 1,000 to 1,450 parts per million of fluoride. So that's for average people is absolutely fine. Um, Oral-B has got a different kind of fluoride in it. That's got stannous fluoride in it. The research says that that's as good as a prescription toothpaste. So when you're looking at prescription toothpaste, there are the Durafat toothpaste is 2,800, so that's 2,800 parts per million, or 5,000 parts, 5, parts per million. Really high in fluoride, so they have to be prescribed for the right people. So 2,800 is not for anybody under 10, and the 5,000 not for anybody under 16. So for any cancer patients that would come to see me, or anybody with a dry mouth at home, or people who've got lots of medications, you know, over 2,500 medications can cause dry mouth. So invariably, a lot of our patients have got a dry mouth. A dry mouth's a big problem. So we need to protect the teeth. So why not a good toothpaste, using twice a day, no rinsing, just spit out, use a fluoride mouthwash at a different time of day. Um, it's just regular care that can just reduce the risk. That's what it's all about. So gum disease and tooth decay, the two major 
diseases of the mouth that can be prevented. Uh, the other problems with cancer patients, obviously you get oral mucositis um, with a lot of treatments. Can you brush your teeth then? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, invariably, people often go, they'll be really keen with their electric toothbrush before they go in. As they go through their treatment, they'll maybe move down to a manual toothbrush. And then there's um, different kinds of toothbrushes. So this is, this is more stuff for you. So toothbrushes, they have roughly about six to 800 bristles on them. Um, but there are toothbrushes out there with 12,000 bristles on them and they're incredibly soft and gentle. So it helps some patients to be able to use something because it's about the action of the toothbrush that makes people feel cleaner. Maybe they can only use a mouthwash. Maybe they can only use a moist stick. Obviously you can't use sponges on sticks anymore. A lot of trusts don't like those and they're banned. Um, so it's using something to just clean the mouth. Or maybe if say a patient is permanently supine, um, there are suction toothbrushes. So you can, as a carer or somebody involved with care, can still brush these patients' mouths because people can get hospital um, aspiration pneumonia. So that's another risk, inhaling those bacteria. So a lot of the time when you get a lot of bleeding, when people are brushing their teeth, that's not good. That means bacteria from your mouth can go into your system, to your brain, your heart, your joints, your tummy. It's not good. They find, they find oral bacteria all over the place and it shouldn't be there. If we keep this clean twice a day, the research says hugely, the aspiration pneumonia risk goes down, which means you're not getting patients on antibiotics, then they're not getting urinary infections, you know, all of that that knocks on because of the mouth. And it's always the last thing that gets thought of. And I try and change that a little bit sometimes. <laughs> so there are some cancer patients who won't necessarily eat orally anyway. So I know for head, not head and neck, but esophageal cancer patients, they'll be permanently peg or rig fed. So the tube going in the abdomen, how, I mean, I've had patients who have declined any advice about kind of dental hygiene, but how do you engage those patients then? Well, it's about patient choice too, unfortunately. I know what's best, you know what's best. They may not know what's best. So it, it's, it, yeah, it's a difficult one. I try, I try to, um, because they still have bacteria in their mouth. It's still forming, even though they're not being fed by, uh, by the mouth, you know? Um, so yeah, it's a difficult, every patient's different. I try and engage them all, but if they don't want to, then that's fine. I, I can't do any more. But sometimes, sometimes like a little chipping away, but without nagging too much, because otherwise they'll just be like, stop Joss, enough now you know but um it's good though isn't it to kind of give them some of the education like exactly as you've just um kind of explained really the impact of potentially not brushing your teeth that ma many people won't necessarily attribute the fact that just because people aren't brushing their teeth properly could lead to the u increased use of antibiotics that isn't necessarily a correlation that people would automatically jump to um, when they're maybe analysing patients. So it, it is really interesting and I'm sure education comes some way into it um, when you're dealing with patients. Just I've always had a question because I know when I was clinical um, we have lots of patients who are having chemotherapy at the same time as radiotherapy and vomiting and nausea is often one of the side effects that patients will experience. What is it that we should be advising patients about brushing and brushing their teeth and their dental hygiene around nausea and vomiting? Because there, there is a little snippet of information, isn't there, that we should be advising? So the problem is that tummy acid is like battery acid on their teeth and it's horrific. So we have to be very careful about timing. So say you have fruit for breakfast. Some people say, well, should I brush before breakfast or after breakfast? Well, if you're having fruit for breakfast, I'd like you to do one of two things, really. Either brush before breakfast and then maybe use a mouthwash afterwards if you've got time to, if you're dashing out the door. Or if you've got time to brush your teeth, leave it 35 to 45 minutes afterwards. Although there is research that says your mouth can be acidic for a lot, lot longer. So I would say for patients who are vomiting a lot, not to brush, you, you, so there's an abrasivity scale of toothpastes going down to water. So what you need to find is a very smooth toothpaste, leave plenty of time after vomiting, maybe only manage mouthwash, so at least you're getting some fluoride on there um, and try their best really. 
and once the um the nausea and the vomiting subsides then to then pick up with the oral hygiene again and if damage is done it's done there's nothing you can do about it but it's about um just keeping them well isn't it you know and keeping the teeth as good as possible without too much damage it's a difficult one because some people are on treatment long term aren't they you know and they're in and out of cycles and you'd have to yeah. so the other yeah. thing that i would love is that often patients will come in during treatment wherever they are in their cycles and i'm like i don't know where you are in your cycle i don't know what your blood count is i don't think i can actually i can talk to you about your oral hygiene i would never waste an opportunity i'd sit down have a cup of tea i've got a chance to have a cup of tea or i'd talk to them about what they're taking or how they're feeling you know because it's lovely they made a visit to me they're tired you know and they've made a visit so what i would love is a better connection between oncology and dental because there's a lot of keen patients that want to come back and see us as soon as they possibly can. So I'd like the oncology staff to say, right, your blood counts are great. You finish your treatment, off you go. Or where you are in your cycle, your blood counts fine, off you go. Because it crops up all the time. Can I treat this patient? People are desperate to treat these patients, but we don't know if we can. They could be neutropenic. I don't understand blood counts. I just want to know when they're okay to come back and see me. You know, but as for the, sorry, that's the nausea and vomiting. So yeah, mouthwash and a very smooth toothpaste and they do differ a lot i suppose something else is when head and neck patients are having pain relief so swigging oromorph in their mouth to try and get local pain relief i mean that's quite i know some of them struggle to brush their teeth or use the mouthwash but we give them so many different products in the nhs every single trust will have something different and i know in your like the leaflets and stuff you have there are hundreds of products on there but how do we as healthcare professionals decipher what to do because it's always there'll be a new product it works in one department you move somewhere else does it something different and they don't like that product it's really difficult isn't it um for me i get lots of samples in my practice my um colleagues at work there's drawers full of samples my patients go away with a bag i tell them to check with oncology if they're happy for them to use particular products so i don't say you can use everything I check for allergies, check for contraindications, ethical reasons for different things. Um, so they go with a bag. So for one, they feel cared for. They may never open that bag. They may never might need that bag. They might be given something else in hospital. They find works better. It's really individual how patients feel about their mouths and what works for them. Um, there's some sprays that are available on the market for like £2.50 they can buy for anywhere. They love it. Other people hate it. You know, so I, I just give them lots of choice. Um, which is difficult with the NHS, you know, and I appreciate that. Some stuff's available on, um, products are available on um, prescription. There's a lot available over the counter and on the internet. Um, There's different things with enzymes in, different pH, so you have to be careful who's got teeth, who hasn't got teeth. Um, Yeah, there's so, so many, which is great because there's lots of choice, but it's confusing. Are there any things you would say, no, don't ever use that? Um, all I would say is that people need to understand the pH of some of the products because when I see a pH of a product that's 3.5 and they're giving it to a patient for dry mouth it works because if you think about lemons that makes your saliva flow doesn't it but not for a patient with teeth because if you're spraying or using the products it's really going to erode the teeth and the teeth lose their luster the enamel goes they get very sensitive when you get the root surfaces exposed, so if you think of a particular age group of patients, they've got the root surfaces exposed, you haven't even got the enamel protecting it. You've got a really soft, very um, easily decayed area of the tooth, then big, big problems. So in then, in turn, it's going to cost them a lot of money to maintain it, you know, and if it's going to cost the NHS a lot of money if they can get an NHS practice or it's going to cost themselves a lot of money or extractions. Can they have extractions? Are they on bisphosphonates? problems with osteoarthritis, osteonecrosis, you know, all of this leads on to other things, you know. It's good to get it right from the start. Um, I've worked with Gloucester Royal Hospital with the prehab team and they give a little presentation to patients before they start their treatment. And they said, Josh, do you mind doing it like a little little, little bit about teeth? Because they know I can go on about teeth. Um, so I did three slides for them and the patients really enjoy it. And they say of all of the slides that they see, these are the slides they ask the questions about. So it's really important to the patient. Um, so if, they, if they've got time, I always say to them, try and get an appointment with your practice, even if it's for a clean or a chat or products or something to just support them on that journey before whatever cancer treatment they're having, whatever um, they're having to just support them and 
try and get them out the other end with as little damage as possible. It is funny, isn't it, how we associate feeling better about ourselves with a clean mouth. Or maybe it's just myself. Maybe I've just made that huge assumption. But I know that when I've been in hospital or I've got friends or family in hospital, the first thing people go is, can can you get me my toothbrush? Um, Can you make sure I've got some toothpaste? And, you know, even probably before knickers or a bra or anything else, it's like, where's my toothbrush? Where's my toothpaste? I'll quite happily sit in this gown for three weeks, but I need my toothbrush and toothpaste. But it is, it's interesting, isn't it? How that can make someone feel so much better. So it is, it's really interesting using dental care and hygiene um, as part of that prehabilitation for patients that can really see how that is important, irrespective of what kind of cancer a patient has. Um, Joss, I have a question for you, and this is, but I would have loved to have had a conversation with you um, when I was practicing clinically because I used to be that therapeutic radiographer that used to take out dentures, and everyone else would be like, "Oh, Joe, what are you doing with the dentures?" But I always saw they were dirty, and I was like, "Oh, I want to help this person feel better." How should we, as healthcare professionals, look after dentures or support people who have dentures? Because I know it's really easy when you're under lots of time pressures when we're treating with radiotherapy to kind of get a patient to put, take their dentures out, put it in a pot. And then you may have a student therapeutic radiographer who's standing there going, oh, those dentures look a bit dirty. Should we be cleaning them? Should, you know, is there anything nice that we can do for patients whilst they're having their treatment? So have you heard of Mouth Care Matters? A lot of trusts have Mouth Care Matters and they have some wonderful team members in that. So they have like, I think it's a, a flower that they can put above a bed so you can tell if a patient has a denture. So that's good. Now dentures cost at the moment on in private practice, they cost as much as a mobile phone. What's the biggest things that get lost in hospital? Blooming dentures. So I always say to my patients with dentures, when you go to hospital, if you're if you've got a denture, if you if plan or don't plan to go into hospital, have a pot with your name on so people know to put it in there. So whether you're able to communicate or not, hopefully if they take them out, they go into that pot. So there's a white paper that says to take the denture out, to give it a clean and to put it in a pot with water. So some people say if you talk to different technicians because there's different kinds of dentures, whether to put them in water or not, I would say, to be honest, put them in water. You're not really going to do any damage, to be fair. Um, and don't brush them with the toothbrush don't brush them with toothpaste brush them with a denture brush and just use soap and water the the denture is not going to take up anything from the fluoride and there's abrasives in the toothpaste so good soap and water give it a really good clean you know there's lots of nooks and crannies and I always say it's a bit like taking shoes and socks off let's everything breathe because there's lots of fungus you know candida that's under that again that's not good for the mouth if the patient's immunosuppressed or not great feeling low these are areas that just become really inflamed and sore so yes ideally for majority of patients they should come out at night not everybody but for majority of patients they should and some patients I've had one patient she wouldn't even take her denture out for the denti- dentist to check underneath it now I've only ever heard of that once because it is it's embarrassing for a lot of people for them to be seen without their teeth it's a really personal thing um so it, it's a really it's a, it's careful conversations there you know but yes absolutely right dentures out good clean and then give them back to them hold, hold on to them with their lives um and uh, yeah don't lose too many of them just lots of um, head and neck patients um, obviously you will struggle with as you said dry mouth or trismus you know pro- problems where it might affect their sort of sex and intimacy mm. with a partner have you had any experience kind of guiding people post-treatment or even just you know non-cancer patients through this pathway as well yeah intimacy is really interesting actually so um there's a lovely piece in the mouth cancer foundation patient handbook and there is a piece in my book as well because i wanted that in there because patients of all ages have a sex life or a relationship or whatever they want to get back to how their life was before whether it's kissing or whatever was normal for them um it's life you know we should talk about these things um i won't necessarily talk about them with my patient they might open up talk to me about it um and i will listen um some patients don't even eat with their their other half you know some of them aren't even living together you know and they were a lovely couple before it puts a real strain that you've got to be a really strong couple especially to get through head and neck cancer and lots of cancers but head and neck cancer especially um yeah, I listen to them. There's, it's it's it can be quite a sad. Well, it is a sad journey, 
um, and it can be um, very disfiguring and it changes them forever. Some of them have got the biggest sense of humour you've ever had in your life, you know, and it hasn't bothered them at all. And you're listening really hard to them because they can't speak very well, but you're listening to them. But you know, they're, they're talking and they're, they're giving you all sorts of bits and pieces. Oh, I've, I'm, people of all ages have said all sorts of things, you know, but with head and neck cancer patients, we're getting younger pa people in. And um, there's a lovely charity called Young Tongues. Um, and they're driving it for the younger ones that are getting um, diagnosed. So, yeah, intimacy, it's a massive topic and really important. Oh, Joss, thank you. It's really, it's really um, nice to hear that, obviously, that's something that you would encourage patients to talk to you about. Um, do, you, do you actively ask that as a question? Is it part of kind of, how are you this week? <laughs> like, I'm not necessarily suggesting you would say, how's your intimacy, but... You know, is it something that you try that you try to question? Because I know that um, through Rad Chat, we obviously have patients who contact us, and they've seen healthcare professionals every single day. But it can be really difficult to have those conversations, and sometimes they think that that lack of intimacy is just purely during the treatment, and then it's those professionals that they see after treatment that actually they get the opportunity to then go, well, actually, it's it's a lasting issue, and I thought it wouldn't wouldn't necessarily last no it's interesting isn't it so i whenever i saw my patient i'd always ask about their family i'd always ask about their husband or their wife or their son or their daughter and how you know how's everybody getting on and how are they reacting to your journey you know and then they'd kind of open up a little bit then um if i felt that they needed more support some more psychological support i'd always then email the clinical nurse specialist so i knew really well hi i've just had this patient he's a little bit lower than i expect him to be at this point of his journey you know any chance yep no problem joss i'll pick it up from here i love that i love that collaboration because people can say anything to anybody but it, you need to listen you need to hear because suicide is obviously a risk as well um so it's all these things that you just think hmm not sure and they might come the cns might come back to me and say it's okay it's in hand they are where they are blah 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 blah, blah. um so it's interesting it's interesting there's a there's a lady on instagram talk called sam talk sex she's a previous nurse um and she's fantastic so she talks about a lot of stuff she's been again <gasps> has she's she been against yeah fre <laughs> frequent flyer with us she's brilliant <laughs> the, the oh, lube queen yeah <laughs> My Christmas presents were courtesy of Sam. <laughs> Fantastic. I like... Yeah, Joe, Joe only wanted to get her back on to get the discount code. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, fab. Yeah, so I think she's great. I think she's great because she talks about all that stuff that people think, oh, I'm not sure I should really talk about that. But at least you've got a place to point people to. And um, yeah, yeah, relationships, it's so interesting. I always got people in with their other people. They wouldn't, I wouldn't let the other partners sit in the waiting room. I got them in with them and I, how are you? And I'd speak to them, how are you? Oh yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, okay. They all say that, don't they? I'm fine. Okay, so uh, yeah. Anything you'd like to chat about, you know? Anything you'd like to discuss? Any problems you're having? You know, transport, prescriptions, you know, anything I can, you know, it's just building those bridges with those patients, anything and everything. I can't do anything about prescriptions. I can't do anything about the transport, but I certainly knew people who did and could. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Joss, can I ask um, about the cost of dental care? So I can imagine for anyone at the moment who has tried to get an NHS dentist, tried to see an NHS hygienist, has hit maybe a brick wall or struggled um unless they're already been under the care um what's happening around that nationally what can patients do if they need to see a dentist or they're going through a cancer pathway and they know that they need to see a dentist or a hygienist what's typically the pathway or how can they be autonomous for their own care it's a really difficult one because i haven't worked in the nhs for a long time i just see what i hear and read around me so i'm probably not the best person to ask answer this really um i'd like to hope that if they rang the practice to say i've got a diagnosis i've been told i need to see somebody i would hope somebody on the end of their phone would say come in that's what i would like um there's a lot of dentists that are leaving the nhs um oh gosh it's 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 a really hot potato 
Um, and one I would love to cure. Um, and I think there's a lot of people that need to come and have a look at what we actually do in dentistry and understand what a day-to-day is for an NHS dental practice because it's blooming hard work and they're working their socks off. You know, and during COVID and lockdown, we shouldn't have been locked down. We're the best people at this mouth stuff. We wear masks. We look after people who are highly infectious. We do that stuff. That's our day-to-day stuff. Um, so we shouldn't have been locked down. So that was terrible. So there's an awful lot of people who won't get in their cancer screenings for one, but won't get in their te- dental teeth, their dental work done or treated or looked at. So for those months, that was just ridiculous. But that's my personal point of view. Um, but I think... I don't know. I don't know where the future's going to go. I really don't. Um, I think there'll be a lot more dental plans if people can afford it. I'm hoping companies might pick it up and help their staff on that score. But there's going to be an awful lot of people that just cannot afford it. They are really watching their pennies. And it's, it's expensive. So prevention is key. Prevention is key. It's day-to-day stuff. Watching out what you're eating and drinking. Don't eat in all that rubbish, you know. But if you do, fine. Just have it now and again, but not routinely, you know. People are drinking these um, oh, energy drinks and they're just not having breakfast. And, oh, it's a big, big topic. Sugar's here, there and everywhere. Lucasade. I've seen kids drinking Lucasade on the way to school. Yeah. I'm like, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, you get away for it for now, but not for very long. And if your mum finds you've got 14 fillings to be done, that's not going to be good. And then they'll be in pain and then it's not good so yeah it's all about prevention but we don't we get we can get anything and everything 24 7 now can't we you know it's it's there and it's processed and it's highly sugared and lots of fat and it's cheap and it's not good how much does it typically cost to see a dental hygienist privately so that can vary a lot depending where you are in the country so i would imagine it's about oh 40 to 120 pounds for half an hour but if it saves you a thousand pounds in fillings then i found when we opened back up about, well yeah when we came back from lockdown from was that a lot of people just wanted to come and get their teeth cleaned they didn't want the checkup yeah i'll come back for that i just want my teeth clean i want my teeth to feel amazing again hi joss yabba 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 how you how you doing right now clean my teeth <laughs> and do you ever diagnose anything through being a hygienist so will you have to at points refer to the dentist or or even within your role thinking actually that looks a bit a bit dodgy and I would definitely suggest that you go and get that checked out so do you mean as from a cancer point of view yeah 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 so what I do is for all my patients I do an extra oral and intraoral check I go right down to the clavicle I go down all the lymph nodes down the neck down here and along the jawline for the submental and submandibular then I check inside the mouth I check all around there I check the tongue either side up to the bottom look and say ah that's as far as you can see down the throat but hopefully that checks enough invariably most people have found something themselves they know there's something there and often they'll go to the GP Sometimes they'll go through a couple of rounds of antibiotics for something that isn't needing antibiotics, um, but sometimes they are referred off straight away. So there's different avenues, different places people can go to to have things checked. Um, They're starting to think about pharmacists doing intra or extra checks. Who knows? Great. Why not? Um, If they're happy to, people can be a bit funny about looking after the mouth, but hopefully with good training that might help. Where's I going now? Uh, Yeah, so um, if there's something I think that's not not right I will always get a colleague in and they will always ask me to go in as well we work together it's a team it's not hierarchical it's not they they look at something I look at something if I've got a patient that's bleeding more than they should be and their sugars aren't great and I go any hints of diabetes in your family you know you can spot lots of things leukemia diabetes all sorts of things from the mouth the mouth you have to listen to what they're saying you have to see what you see I might be wrong but there's a couple of patients that I've sent off to um GPs and I know they're gone oh hygienist what do they know I know quite a bit actually but you know can you just give them a little diabetes check please and invariably they come back with a problem so they are type 2 okay so sooner better rather than later let's sort this out and help you out so I'm going to really nag you about your gums now you're diabetic because your gums affect your teeth uh, your gums affect your diabetes and your diabetes affects your gums so (laughs) it's the way it is (laughs) I, I would imagine the dietitians love you, Joss. Absolutely love you. <laughs> 
So we're coming to the end, Joss, and we finish every episode with top 10 tips. And that can be for anyone. So our audience is um, patient-driven, there's students listening, there's healthcare professionals. What top tips would you want to end on? Right, so look after your own personal health. Look after your oral health, yourself. Make sure you're brushing and cleaning your teeth. Make sure you're using something between your teeth. Try and use the right toothpaste. Try and... um, try and uh yeah just care for your patients think about the mouth is you've got so many things to look after i know i know i've seen the tick list i know exactly what you've got to look after and the mouth is just one extra thing please do it it makes a huge difference um feel free to go to my website to look at the references and resources to see what i'm really rabbiting on about evidence-based stuff because i'm doing my masters at the moment so i know a bit more about evidence-based now than i ever did um and if you fancy reading my book please feel free um but yeah, just the mouth is good. The mouth's a great place. You look after every other part of the body. Why not the mouth? Everybody's got one, you know? And look after your children's teeth, your parents' teeth, your grandparents' teeth. It's really important. People at the end of life, you know, it's, it's important that everybody has good quality of life wherever they are in it. So I don't know. Did I get 10 or maybe more in there? <laughs> oh, I think, I think you probably exceeded that. To be honest, Numman texted me and went... Ten, that's a lot, Joe. You've requested a lot, but I think you pulled it off. <laughs> oh. oh, well, thank you so very much for coming on. I personally have learnt loads um, from listening to you speak. So thank you all for listening to Rad Chat. Your hosts today have been myself, Joe McNamara, and Naman Jock Anderson. If you're utilising this podcast for CPD purposes, consider the reflective questions posted along with links to resources and literature we've discussed. To receive your accredited CPD certificate, please complete the Google form linked with the podcast. Our next guest to feature will be Chris Lenger, who will be discussing her experience of cancer, the charity Copperfield um, that she set up, and her book, How to Glitter a Turd. So thank you all for listening and take care.